Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go. Everybody and welcome to episode number 91 of Ace Comicals. That was supposed to be the Watchmen episode, but due to a thermodynamic miracle, we are here bringing you some comics talk that we put together on the fly slash ad-libbing it slash whatever. So uh, it's me, Greg, joined by Rahul. Hey, Greg. And Leon. Hey, guys. Yeah, so we were meant to be bringing you part three of our Watchmen series. This was supposed to be us discussing the uh, 2019 Watchmen TV series with uh, Anthony Askew, but um, I hacked off part of my finger. Askew <laughs> lost the in- Askew lost electricity to his house when we were supposed to be recording. Thus, we are doing this. <laughs> so. <laughs> The listeners don't need to know how the sausage gets made. It's fine. We can, we can just hold with it. But... Everybody oh, yeah. getting put on blast. <laughs> put yourself on blast. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was doing some DIY, some decorating, and um, I managed to take a chunk out of my finger with a, um, or a, 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 a scraper blade while I was scraping the wall, and I had to take a trip down to the hospital to get my finger sorted out. So <laughs> I've been trying to think about I, like I was thinking about this the other night because like my initial reaction was just concern for you and it turned out you were fine so I stopped caring and then yeah. I was trying to piece together like how it happened like how did did you have the scraper in one hand and you chopped off your finger on the other you and... you have to be me Ray that's that's how it happened the only way to do this is to be me because I am the world's clumsiest human being <laughs> but um so imagine you're scraping the wall. And you've got one hand on the scraper and the other hand kind of on the scraper, slightly next to the scraper. But you're using both hands to get some force, right? So you scrape the wallpaper and then the other hand slips and gets in front of the blade and you kind of make an arc shape into the side of your finger. I see. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Like, it's not like I've lost the end of my finger or anything, but like I've kind of like gone in and under and like, made a flap out of the flesh on the end of my finger if that makes sense so not a cool injury but a gross injury all right yeah (laughs) super and then there's no stitches it's all um like steri strips and bandage and whatever and keep it dry for however many days but yeah so i kind of kind of did a thing and uh, i was bleeding everywhere (laughs) and then i went and got it sorted um and then i came back from that i was like yes i can still record because i was only in the hospital for like an hour and a half so i'm fine um and then uh we we get home and then askew's like oh um the power's out at my house that that was the end of that but yeah we'll bring in you that one next week so this week we've got some comics to talk about um and uh i guess we should dive right into it unless you guys got anything you want to bring up no, nothing's happened in my life since the last time we recorded, so let's, let's get into the comics. I did injure my injure my thumb last weekend, like weekend before last, but I uh, I didn't cut a bit off. I just, uh, I, I was doing something and ended up whacking 
the nail part and then it started bleeding under the nail. Ooh. Oh, man. It's my uh, my right thumb as well, so it's been super annoying to play video games and stuff the, the last uh, week and a half. Well, like, the finger that I did, luckily, is the finger that would rest on the triggers. Uh, so and like, you're a pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, I am anyway, because I'm playing Animal Crossing, and you don't really use the triggers in Animal Crossing. You just catch bugs. But, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll jump right into it with the first comic that I chose, which was something that uh, came out June 24th, uh, which is That Texas Blood. Um, that Texas Blood number one. This is something that had me quite excited because it was... I quite like crime stories sometimes. Um, and crime comics when they're done in a, in a specific way, in a specific fashion, really, really appeal to me. So this is something that I just sort, sort of saw and I was like, oh, Western crime comic, I'll check that out. So this also has a preview of a book called Pulp at the back of it, um, which I will come to as well because I, um, I read that and I was really into that as well. And I'm quite excited for that, um, but I'll come to that in a moment. So um, that Texas Blood for me kind of perfectly captures the starkness of the landscapes of the area that that it is set within this this small town in Texas it has this kind of perfect way of doing that as well um which involves horizontal um horizontal panels which i will come on to and it, it just kind of captures the mundane reality of small town life and how just below this mundane veneer if you scratch at it like you don't even have to scratch at it very hard or for very long, but if you scratch at it, you you get the roiling darkness beneath, and and it it takes very little effort, and and that's what I love how it actually gets all of that spot on, like the dynamic and the ecosystem of this like small town is right there in this first issue, and it perfectly sets the scene. So if I read you the blurb off the image website, so criminal colorist and first time solo artist, Jacob Phillips and writer, Chris Condon break onto the scene with a brand new ongoing series like Paris, Texas gut punched by, um, no country old men. This mature neo-Western crime series kicks off when the search for a casserole dish leads to a dark and tense confrontation on Sheriff job, uh, Sheriff Joe Bob Coates, 70th birthday. And uh, yeah, so there's a quote here from Chip Zdarsky as well. Chris and Jacob pull off something remarkable here, a vivid and bright story that nails through a sense of, that nails a thorough sense of foreboding darkness, a shocking amount of talent for a duo so fresh to comics. And that's Chip Zdarsky of Sex Criminals and Daredevil. I think we talked about both of those at least once, haven't we, on this uh, podcast? Um, but yeah, so like the premise here is fantastic. And like I was saying, how it sets the scene with these beautiful establishing shots in like these horizontal panels um, that really, really do well to highlight the bleak beauty hidden that, well, the, the, it highlights the bleak and the beauty hidden within the bleakness of these landscapes because like they're bleak, but they're beautifully bleak. Like if you've ever looked at photographs of the um, areas, like areas of desert in America, like Monument Valley and things like that. Like it's bleak because it's just desolate, but 
within that there is a certain kind of beauty that only that part of the world has if that makes sense to you too yeah kind of i mean i i don't know how much i agree with like the use of the word bleak or some of these like slightly more sinister undertone uh, like adjectives we're using because i thought it was actually quite like beautifully hopeful or like there's a beautiful solitude to it that i really enjoyed and maybe again maybe it's just corona times talking and i've been trapped indoors but like i found the opening half of this book quite serene and chill and i was like kind of hoping that it would just be a slice of life of this you know small town sheriff in uh where is it somewhere in texas um and just like his day-to-day -day mundanity of like living a quite like quite a happy peaceful marriage in a small town with like somewhat small town problems and then it does it does take a turn and when it when it does around the halfway point i admittedly was a little bit disappointed because i kind of just wanted more of this chill serenity um but then where it does go is actually quite interesting and then how it how it then pulls off like that the like the darkness underneath um it's really quite engaging and i really like how they did that i can let you guys talk about the first half first yeah so um it kind of leads in with this guy waking up on his 70th birthday and uh you know he's like i thought it'd be different i thought i'd feel different being 70 and all this kind of thing you know like 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 people do on their birthdays like when i woke up on my 30th birthday i can kind of see where he's coming from so i'm like well i'm 30 now you know <laughs> I guess I guess it's the same no matter what the decade. Yeah, you think there'd be more trumpets or something, but it just turns up and then keeps going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no ding. <laughs> there's no level up pop. There's no, you know, it just happens. <laughs> Life carries on. Um, happy continued existence. Continue to paint over the void. But I digress. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so here we are. This guy wakes up. And uh, it's this like wonderful kind of like eight panels of him just waking up and then his wife waking up next to him. And it's just really, really chill. And it's like, so this like a, just like a little snapshot of a happy marriage, basically. Like she wakes up next to him and she's basically telling him that she needs a casserole dish. So uh, off he goes to work and we get a day in the life of a sheriff in a small town dealing with everything from rattlesnakes to the more serious end of it, which is uh, drinking and domestic violence. Um, and this is what I was stabbing at with the darkness beneath the veneer, because you've got this like small town veneer and everyone thinks small town life is quaint and chill, but obviously small towns have their own problems. Um, and obviously they have their own ways of dealing with them um, because everyone knows everyone and everyone knows everyone's quirks and uh, flaws and things. Um, and yeah, we just, we just get the build up to this crescendo, which is like incredibly raw and it, it, it kind of builds up in a, in quite a, um, the tension actually builds in quite a slow controlled way. Like it, it, it slowly gets darker and darker. Like we get this nightmare he has, um, where he's falling asleep in his car and then we get um after the nightmare seem it's kind of like the the, the nightmare happens and then that intrudes on real life is how the book kind of ends is the way the way the kind of tension builds up it's like it goes through the nightmare into reality um 
but yeah, it's it's just a great opener for what promises to be a really interesting and really cool story, I think. Um, and something I want to, I, I, I will definitely be carrying on with. Um, Leon, you got any initial thoughts on the way this plays out? Because you read it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's quite, um, as you say, like it has this like slow burn and you get this real like, I don't know community feel where it's like uh, as as Rahul saying like everyone knows each other and like everyone's in everyone's business and there's just this small town mundanity to it where um, to a level where you're like lending casserole dishes and X Y Z and everyone's aware of the problems everyone's gonna go to the sheriff's birthday and but the thing I love about it, there's so many like sort of establishing shots especially at the beginning and throughout of just like empty places yeah where it's just like an empty gas station or the uh, uh, the outside uh, like emptiness of a home the police station everything seems to have like just this sort of siloed feel so even though everyone is like entangled too much and super familiar to the level that the sheriff uses his police radio to talk to his wife instead of <laughs> so that his, his uh people at the at the the pd have to um have to call call him on his mobile so the other <laughs> way around uh to, to level where like you have people calling uh the sheriff to get rid of snakes when it's like it's not really their job and also it's texas man it's like if you can't handle a snake why are you there i love that though it's like it's not that they can't it's just that they're fucking lazy well that's like they're just (laughs) they're just sitting there on the porch just like you should shoot it you'll kill it quicker and he's like why don't you shoot it then (laughs) he's like well no you should shoot it it's just like this sort of quiet reality where even like in the shop that he goes into it seems like there's no one there apart from the uh the, the shopkeeper and everything just has this wild sort of i don't know almost sleepy pace but um mm. so that when we get the nightmare which is this great like splash page uh followed by like a nine panel like sinister page but that splash page is great because it like it, it 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 does the like card almost cardinal sin thing of including so much dialogue but it the way it's paced and the way each bubble builds as you go through this story and as you, you get towards the end, it does, um, I think it reveals a bit more about what's um, running through the sheriff's mind. And, and, and in addition to the whole, I thought I'd feel different 70 thing. Yeah. There's a lot of um, sort of dealing with the past and, um, it doesn't seem like a, a world or a place where people are uh, like outright dealing with it with stuff and engaging with stuff. It's just like this is a thing that happens in life, and mm. like, and you, you move on. Yeah. So that as it uh, like moves through, and, and we get the the fateful part at at the end, it does. Um, and uh, like it, obviously, it, it rocks the world, and it's the inciting incident. And um, like um, at the end of this book, we have like the the uh, writer has a has a letter um, to us, thanking us for uh, for buying it and, and reading through. And 
they mentioned that this was originally like a, a screenplay and that the first issue was a third of the screenplay and he was talking about 90 minute screenplay so that put you at the 30 minute mark which is the in, inciting incident in a lot of screenplays and it makes sense yeah um whereas like this is all the setup but it, instead of it being like hyper expositional instead of it's a lot of texture building and yeah we're, we're like hearing about a lot of people and a lot of stuff is inferred but we're not we haven't been given a big sort of dump like we have got some newspapers and we got people speaking around stuff but like there hasn't been a big dump of like this is what led to this 10 years ago and i kind of like that because it i know it, it it makes the place feel like it didn't just start when we started reading it yeah this this place has history yeah and i want to wind back to the kind of the dream seat because it's like it it's i don't know less a nightmare more a ptsd flashback maybe like it, it has like shades of that about it, doesn't it? Like, um, cause it's, it's, something's happened and it's, it's like had an effect on him kind of thing. And it sticks with him. This is where the, like the no country for all men connection comes in. Cause it's like him reminiscing on how the previous sheriff, you know, what the world that he lived in and what he had to deal with and how different it is to what he's having to butt up against now. And, um, yeah. Like before we dive into the nightmare thing, I just want to add to what Leon said. Where like use the words how how the world presents is like siloed or sleepy, and like I think that's a really good way to describe it because it's not. I didn't get a sense of like this solitude being very oppressive in a way that I think some other comics may go far in one direction. So that when you have this turn of the nightmare and then the inciting incident that you mentioned it feels all the heavier i feel like this is very neutral it feels very like i was trying to say it felt very relaxed and calm and i was really into this slice of life yeah and then i was all like it was an interesting mix of emotions because i was kind of lamenting that the chill was broken and that's kind of what it wants me to feel it wants me to feel like jolted out of it and my i was initially disappointed because i just wanted more of this old dude living his old dude life in these beautiful surroundings but that's not that's not the way of the world i suppose now now here's a thing for you right so do you think you would have felt that this was oppressive last year maybe when you had more freedom <laughs> possibly possibly and maybe even if um even if i had just known what i was walking into i would have felt differently but like just the idea just seeing the images in the first half of this book and seeing just how relaxing and like colorful and like we haven't really dived into the art but like the um there's a scratchy, like a vertical scratchiness over everything. Like it's a, there's a, a vertical textural wash over all of it. But I was thinking about like how in, in a different experience that would feel like it was descending on you or like it was some sort of oppressive haze, but it just didn't feel like that to me. It felt very like vibrant and textured in a way that I, I don't know. I just, I just enjoyed wallowing in it. It's um, freeing, isn't it? To look mm -hmm. at it and to, to, to be in it is freeing. Yeah, and that's just not what I was expecting, um, and especially then when the term comes. Uh, and yeah, to, to your question about like the, the nightmare sort of PTSD aspect to it, I think that is what it is. It's him reflecting on, like him reflecting on his job and how different it was to perhaps previous, you know, generations. And then he has to deal with the thing that comes next. Yeah. And 
I'm going to dive into the art actually, because I had a little bit to say about the art. So I was going to say the art itself, where the character designs are concerned, it's, 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 uh, it's also very stark, um, but it's extremely eff effective and very graphic with that. It has like, it's like stark with bold lines. Um, this kind of like graphic realism that it does. Um, yeah, it's, it's very clean for a, for a setting that you often associate with like dust and dirt and stuff. Yeah. And then when you were talking about it being uh, with the vertical lines, so I, I do love the way this is colored actually with these vertical lines overlapping with different shades to create depth, but also like, it maintains the stark worn feel. Yeah. So it kind of like builds on the writing, the, the writing gives you us, it's like this stark worn feel within the writing. And then it builds on that with the art, like going for this stark worn. Um, yeah. Worn is a good word. Cause like, yeah. it's, um, this is, I think this is what I'm trying to get at. Like it's got a, it preserves that organic, like organic wornness. Uh, but without without doubling down on like dirt and grime, and I think I like that. Like it feels worn out, not dirty. Mm. It's stark and it's worn, and it it, it that the, the stark and worn are two words you can just to use to describe the whole because that weaves through everything about this book, which I think is the idea. Um, and it's like it's just it's really simple. It has like this this awesome simplicity about it at the same time because nothing seems overcomplicated. And I like that you can see the techniques and like visible components of the art just kind of like laid bare. So you can see how they have chosen to add shadow to this with vertical lines. You can see that it's visible on the page. It's not like they've they've done it and then tried to hide it in some way or built more on top of it. It's not overly elaborate. Mm -hmm. It's, you know. It's like a flourish. Yeah. And and it 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 works to present like it, it, all of these components are like, so all of the components come together to create a really complex piece of art that's really cool and has a lot about it. But then you can actually see all of these components laid bare within each panel. It's like the components are, uh, uh, you can separate them with the eye, which I think is cool, which actually helps. I really enjoyed that. Like I can sit there and look at it and I can, I can see how each, how it comes together. And I really enjoy being able to see how it comes together, like being able to see the bones of it like that. It, it really adds to the, the whole mood of the whole thing kind of thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And then particularly that, that vertical wash, like overlay wash component that sort of intensifies towards the end when we get to that incident where like this extreme uh, action, this extreme act of violence occurs. And it's almost mm. like the scene is then instead of being overlaid by this texture, it then starts seeping in and like tainting. And it's yeah. like um, the scene has been tainted by red before the violence even happens. And that, that, that's super effective for me. Yeah. And, and it's, it's tinted. It's like they work it in in such a cool way because it's sundown. It's the end of his day. We've spent a day at work with him and he's napped for half of it. <laughs> it's, like, it's great. I love it. Um, so, yeah, that is uh, that Texas blood. And uh, if I reel off a list of credits for you, so... <clears throat> that is art by Jacob Phillips and writing by Chris Condon. I think it's only a two-person team. Um, I've been scouring the book itself and looking for in other places for more credits, but um, as far as I can tell, it, it's just these two. <laughs> I don't think I'm quite finished talking about this one, though, actually. So I'm glad I'm oh. glad that you, you got to the credits and stuff. But I do want to shout out like a couple of just really 
well put together pages and panels. Like there's, we keep saying the inciting incident, and I don't know how much I want to keep talking around what it. Yeah, I'm not going to say what it is, but there's a moment in that sequence where we see um, Joe Bob, who is the sheriff we've been talking about. I don't think we mentioned his name. Um, Joe Bob, like, if we're looking at it as a camera, he's pointing a gun like off to the side of the camera and there's a look on his face that is just stark disbelief at what's happened and i don't know there's something about the way that it's drawn and the panels that follow which really sells that look of like he's held up his gun to do something with it but like that the gun that he's holding is just another vehicle for violence and like a gun has already caused that to happen so what good is the thing that he's holding in his hand to stop what's occurring in front of him. And like that, just the sequence of him holding the gun up, looking in disbelief, and then his hand falling down with a gun to his side, because like the moment's over and there's nothing he can do with the tool he's got in his hand. Like, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a really, I, I don't often feel like a visceral punch from a comic on that kind of level. And I just think those are two, maybe just the moment I'm in right now, but those two panels yeah. next to each other worked really, really well for me. I think I just want to shout out my favorite scene as well, which is where he's getting told off for buying jerky. Like his, <laughs> like his wife's constantly monitoring his behavior, like monitoring him through the radio. And she hit, she must, she like overhears the conversation he has with the cashier in the shop <laughs> when he's buying the jerky <laughs> and tells him off for buying the jerky. But I also like how friendly that is as well. There's not, yeah. like, there's not, again, this is why I was, fighting against what you said about there being like an insidious or like uh like the well, there is under the pages i mean there, there is but like it's not in the people it's not i mean yeah there's one there's one there's the couple who are lazy and like um you know telling him how to do his job while just sat there watching him do it yeah and then there's the the couple who are affected by like um domestic violence and alcoholism but yeah like, I guess there's not that many people in the comic to begin with. I guess I'm just focusing on his relationship with his wife and his relationship with the uh, the gas station owner. But like, I just I was they're quite wholesome conversations in contrast to the other ones. Uh, I don't know. I just I liked that whole scene in the gas station. And then his reaction to everything. Well, well, <laughs> I, I can relate. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's a man of few words. It's Joe Bob. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, um, it's a great book, definitely. Um, oh, uh, shout out for the variant cover as well by Sean Phillips, uh, who we're going to come on to now, actually, because in the back of this, there is a preview for an original graphic novel called Pulp, which is something by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, who do beautiful work together, a lot of beautiful work together. We've talked about one of their other projects, which is uh, Fatal. Um, I think Leon, you, you read this with me, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Fatal, uh, way back in episode 73, we talked about Fatal, which was Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And this kind of is in their wheel. This is again in that kind of pulp tail wheelhouse. So, uh, let's get on with this one. So pulp, um, a gorgeous original graphic novel from the best-selling creators of Kill or Be Killed, My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, and Criminal. Uh, Max Winters is a pulp writer in the 1930, in 1930s New York, and he finds himself drawn to a story, or into a story, sorry, not unlike the tales he churns out at five cents a word. 
tales of a Wild West outlaw dispensing justice with a six gun. But will Max be able to do the same when pursued by bank robbers, Nazi spies and enemies from his past? One part thriller, one part meditation on a life of violence. Pulp is unlike anything uh, unlike anything award-winning Brubaker and Phillips have ever done before. This is a celebration of Pulp Fiction set in a world on the brink. Uh, it's another must-have hardcover from one of comics' most acclaimed teams. So Joe Hill has a quote about these two, and he likens them to Scorsese and De Niro. So like Scorsese and De Niro, Brubaker and Phillips are the unmatched masters of a certain kind of storytelling. A new title from the sharpshooters behind Fatal and Criminal is Reason Enough to Go On Living. And that's by Joe Hill of Lock and Key. So my impression of this, um, it's a story of a Western hero that was the subject of many Pulp Fiction stories. Uh, and he's taking, he appears to be taking up arms once more to fight injustice in a world that he barely recognizes. Um, it's a concept I find really interesting and I can't wait to check this one out in full. But from these preview pages, I got a good sense of what it was about and why I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, it is a world on the brink of war. So we're coming up to the edge of uh, World War II and we've got like the rise of Nazis. So it's that classic pulp trope of like adventurer versus Nazis type thing. Um, and the thing that really appeals to me about this is um, this Western hero and the contrast of the old West, what we consider the old West and the ways of the old West, the frontier, etc., versus what we consider to be fairly modern society, like world war two. So it's, it, it's like, you can't ever come to the, um, like the two, the two things existing in the same time kind of thing like somebody can the, the, the idea like you never really think about it much but the idea that somebody could have could exist across both time periods and a lot of people did exist across both time periods and how jarring it must have been to exist in a time of such accelerated change like that to go from horses to automobiles in that kind of space of time it must have been quite in a, in a in mere decades kind of thing i guess I don't know it feels like things changed quicker there than they have than they have or will in our lifetime. Things accelerated more. I don't know what you guys make of that idea. We were talking about this before we started recording. How, um, like, I, I asked the question: like, did did these these two time periods even uh, sit adjacent to each other? Because, like, in my head, I see, you know, the rights, the the rise of like Nazi uh, like nationalism. Um, and you know, cowboy frontierism as two completely different colors in my head. Um, we were talking about how, so like the end of the the end of the Civil War, which would have instigated the end of the Wild West, would have been like 1860s, and therefore the Wild West ending around the late 1800s. And then you were saying how um, like the rise of Nazism would have been 1930s. So it's entirely possible that a man who was young at the end, you know, of, of the cowboy era would yeah. be an old man um for the rise of nazis and then how he would perceive uh how he would perceive that change of you know and like the rise of evil in this manner from the eyes of a cowboy like it is an, it's an interesting story i didn't actually read this preview but like 
just the concept of it is is got my attention because you could be 30 in 1900 and then be 60 in 1930 and like it's like well within like you know your lifetime kind of thing um and there's like there's there's a really like some really good narration here that i'm gonna read out when i was a kid i thought the world would always be the same all long summers and freezing cold winters and the untamed frontier but then a new century came with its cars and machine guns and airplanes and suddenly you look around and the world is almost unrecognizable except that the greedy and the evil are still in charge that never seems to change and that that drew me into it as well that just that little bit of narration that one page um you need to go and read this preview because that's fantastic but yeah it's it's just that that just kind of like gripped me and drew me in like this this man existing across both of these time periods and having feet in both worlds kind of thing is the story that i'm interested in here also the pulp you know the pulp action tale because i like my pulp action tales but yeah that that just um that was the hook right there i'm i'm glad that you've read it because you're selling on it but like i was telling you earlier there's no way you're going to get me to read a preview because like because <laughs> you asked me did i read the preview at the end of um <laughs> what did we just finish reading that texas blood and i was like actually no i've stopped reading previews these days because me and leon have talked endlessly about how a number one is insufficient in in its own right in some ways like it's it's the intro to a tv series and like you're trying to give me the preview of what i already consider a preview i'm just not going to do it that's not what it's gonna, <laughs> that's not what it's going to take to sell me on a story but hearing i you, know but hearing you sound excited yeah. about it and hearing you distill that concept has got me interested but my argument is you'll watch a trailer and play a demo and how is how is reading a preview any different to watching a trailer for a tv show are we going to get into that? Because <laughs> like, you're basically uh, watching a trailer for the pilot, aren't you? If you think about it. I guess, but I already... I don't know, maybe it's a conceptual thing and maybe it's a its its a, a, a barrier that I have to the medium to begin with where I... I don't know. I feel like I'm already invested in yeah. cinema and like I want to see those techniques put on, on display. And like, yeah, you're right. That is the same sort of thing with the preview of a comic, but I'm getting... It's a... Yeah, no, a preview of a comic isn't the same as a trailer. A trailer is like somebody, like a different company or a different person has cut together existing material from the entire movie to tell its own little story. Whereas a preview is almost inevitably just the first four to five pages of an existing comic. And like that number one, what I would love half the time is if the issue number one of a comic was a trailer, if it was like a condensed mini version selling me on what the rest of the story will be. That would be great, but that's not what we're getting. <laughs> that would wind me up. <laughs> really, I feel like that would that would too, if it, if the, if we got more like issue zeros, and that gave me a sense of what the entire plot was going to be, or like not yeah. even because I don't need that from a movie trailer either. I don't need the entire plot spelled out for me. But that's that's the you know the easiest way to explain it. But like like a sizzle reel or a I don't know just a a thing that a thing that is more than just the first ten minutes of a film. Or the first five minutes of a film, you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I want, I want a different craft for a preview. Um, yeah, and that's not to dunk on this because, like, I haven't read it, so I'm not going to criticize it. 
And that's the thing, like, with that comparison, I generally don't like trailers. If I watch a trailer, it's it's for some big popcorn thing where I ultimately, like, I'm. it's just a roller coaster thing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, just to that point, Leon, is like, I, I just went along with the point that Greer, uh, <laughs> I just went along with the point that Greg attributed to me. Like, you like trailers. I'm like, actually, I don't think I do, but I'm going to defend the point because it's the point that I'm on the side on. But yeah, I also don't watch loads of trailers for movies. I want to see the either the popcorn stuff or the ones from directors that I know I'm going to enjoy, and I want to see like a, 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 a morsel of what I want to already watch. But, sorry, continue. Yeah, and, and like, I think the, the thing that's more akin to what that is, is like for say IMAX movies, particularly Christopher Nolan mm. movies, uh, sometimes you'll get a preview where they'll play one scene, and I think the the benefit that people would get off that is the fact that it's a technological thing, really, because you're seeing someone, you're getting to see a scene of a thing in like the way it was shot and blah blah blah. blah. And yeah. even then, I don't like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, previews are just uh, not the thing for me. Because ha- you basically you having to start the thing again when you get around to reading it, mm. and that's annoying. I just want to h- hear it's good and start reading it. Yeah, um, but that's what Ace Comicals is supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this is this is just me. But I mean, I I understand exactly where you guys are coming from, and this is this is just me and and my thing. Like my thing is like these are my trailers because I'm. As as I've probably mentioned on the show, I am way more invested in print media and comics than I am in movies and mm. television and always have been and always will be probably. I mean, I'm not saying I don't enjoy TV and movies because I clearly do, but I, I end up being way more invested in print media and previews are my trailers. And, and that's the thing, like, I'm happy they exist um, hmm. because I think it's one of the few ways that you can market these books. If you've got a cool new book coming out, it makes sense to... Uh, attach uh, a preview to the end of that so that um, you can get people interested in it because it's not like there are actual trailers on YouTube for YouTube for comics. So I'm happy they exist, but it's just like like actual movie trailers. I don't watch that many or read many. <laughs> yeah, I don't always read the previews. It's just sometimes things stick out, like the premise of something grabs me. And if I see some buzz about it, like you go on the image website right now, they're all about pulp. Like, so I'm going to, I'm going to check that out because I've seen some buzz and I'm like, Oh, a few pages of pulp at the back of this book. Let's, let's kind of see what this is about. This is the only way I'm going to get to check this out before the book drops possibly. So let's go see. Yeah. The interesting thing about it in this case is like, I'm already not predisposed to enjoy stories about like frontierism. Like the cowboy stuff just isn't my, isn't my bag generally. Like, I didn't, I wasn't attracted to like Red Dead Redemption 2, for example. I just, I'm not here for that kind of setting. Um, But hearing you talk about it and explain what the concept is, is going to get me on board more than this preview actually did. And again, I'm not criticizing the preview. I'm not criticizing that it exists. I'm just explaining like, there's a reason I didn't go into it. And I'm really glad to hear you speak positive about it. I do, I do enjoy my Western stories. Mm. Um, I like, I've never played Red Dead Redemption, actually. Maybe I should. But a lot of people say it's good. Um, so, like, I just want to talk a little bit about the art before I go any further. It's like classic pulp action with a twist, I guess. And the art has this kind of like 
print block looking style and there's this impressionistic realism in there as well so it's kind of like flips between the two i think as it goes back and forth through time or into stories and and then into what's happening um it, it's got like this vintage edge to it kind of golden age flair that's got going on and like the pages kind of flip back and forth between past and present or what's written in a pulp step, what's written in the pulp tales and, and what might be present. I, I don't know. I, I That's as much as I can pass from it. And that I, I'm fairly excited from that alone, basically. It's just like print block. The, some of the art looks like it's been, it's like it been cut onto it, like wood print, wood block print on top of a washed page kind of thing which is really nice. So you've got like this wash of colors behind to kind of, again, it it works perfectly for it to be in the back of that Texas blood because it does that whole orange wash thing. And it has that beautiful kind of like those beautiful landscapes again. Like there's some, there's some bits in here that show you these beautiful kind of like stark desert landscapes type thing, which is really cool. So yeah, uh, that is, um, Pulp, which was Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker. And both of these, Pulp and That Texas Blood, are published by Image Comics. Um, one's available now. I think Pulp is going to be available later on this month. Um, Pulp drops July 29th, 2020. So, um, yeah, check that out. Last Wednesday in July, I think that will be. So, yeah worth a go and it's a it's it's a, a graphic novel so it's it's gonna be like an entire story in one like you're not gonna have to buy issue one and then wait for issue two so that's if you're pretty cool novel, if you're a graphic novel person have at it um ray and leon i think you two are up next with something you read that i suggested to you to read and and did finish <laughs> to finish so i'll let you take it away yeah so um you recommended um, this book called uh, Get a Brother, a Warrior to Peacemaker. And um, like, why did you recommend it? Because it's like five years old. Because it, it, it's something that I happened across and okay. purchased and began reading, but you two have finished it and I haven't. So, But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> you recommended it. Um, so this is the book uh, and it's a, a graphic novel. Um, and this is written by uh, Julian Valoy, and the art is done by Claudia Arling. Um, and as I said, it came out in 2015. And I'll give the basic blurb that comes from, like, I think it's off the Google thing or the publisher page. But um, it tells the, tr uh, the true story of uh, Benji Melendez, a Bronx legend, son of Puerto Rican immigrants who founded at the end of the 1960s the notorious Ghetto Brothers Gang. From the ravages of his neighbourhood, wracked by drugs, poverty and violence, he managed to extract an incredibly positive energy from this riot-ridden uh, area. His multiracial gang promoted peace rather than violence after initiating a gang truce uh, and other bits uh, to do with history. Um, uh, which uh, and then that that leads to like the emergence of hip hop. Um, but I'm not going to go too much into detail, even though it's history, because I, I think there's a lot of fun to come across it in the book. But um, yeah, this book is um, it's wild because it's it's kind of like a it, in a way it's like a biography because it is uh, following the true story, 
of uh, this guy's life and the events that happen in there. But it, it's also because it's... Um, but it, it's a weird one because it feels really relevant to now, even though it came out five years ago. And I think that is the reality with these types of stories. But yeah, the, the main uh, idea going through is um, that a lot of the, the the movements and structures that happened in the sort of mid uh, 20th century uh, in New York and in America, uh, like American cities at large, um, of like led to where we are now and certain things uh, come back. So there's there's a lot of like, touchstones here to do with things like um, white flight, gentrification, um, sort of the ravages of capitalism, um, the uh, uselessness of really the uh, the two-party system where you can be in a uh, democratic uh, democratic-run um, place but it doesn't matter because it's they're still leaving these places to rot, and it, it tells that, like we as we follow uh, Benji on his um, on his journey growing up, you just see all these different um, elements happening because um, during his teens, it's uh, during the, the late sixties, and obviously during the sixties was quite a um, like a lot happened. In America during the 60s, obviously we had the civil rights movement, uh, beginning of the uh, Vietnam War, and all all types of um, civil and and social change happened during that time. And it's interesting to uh, spend some time with people who are like sort of uh, in in a position where all these different machinations of like politics and everything are, are going to affect them. So like he uh, comes over with his parents as, as immigrants from, um, from PR. And yeah, you, there's so many different, uh, so many different battles that they're having to, to fight. So like his parents only speak Spanish, they don't speak English. And it have that, it's that classic immigrant story from like things, other things that we've spoken about, like uh, American born uh, Chinese, where um, it's that, that tricky place of wanting to sort of respect your heritage, but also you're in, you're in this new country and you're growing up in this new country. So you're, it's like living this life where it's like, okay, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm also American, um, and, and I'm also this is other element that that was kind of hidden in our lives where they have a, a Jewish background, and you've got all these things sort of fighting, and it's like which one am I? And it's really cool to sort of go through those steps and, and just see how these uh, how these people were like surviving in what in places that were like pretty much abandoned by. Uh, society and how these people, uh, these these people, what they came together and they created gangs, and the gangs were, were pretty much the protection and the police for the the people who 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 lived in in the Bronx area because it's not like the government or police were going to, going to do anything, and it's 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 I mean the the main crux of the story and his accomplishments was 
getting all these gangs together and there were so many and getting them all together uh, and having a peace treaty um, because the focus isn't really uh, like fight infighting in gangs. The focus is uh, fighting the oppressor. And it's, it's wild to read this now um, because it's, it's just still so relevant uh, like now and even more so in July, 2020. And um, yeah, just overall, like story wise, um, it, it, as a as a real life story, it's super super interesting. And then beyond that, the way the story is presented in the book is great because um, we start off in in the present, and then we sort of like flash back in time, uh, the last dance style, where the clock goes back, and uh, we we follow Benji through through um, these different experiences and, and growing up, and just all the different trials and tribulations, and like, but then. Uh, sort of m married with like the cultural headaches you get with um, being like a new immigrant in a new place and um, your parents wanting, wanting the best for you, but also having their own sort of uh, issues that they're dealing with. And what's cool is that the, the way that they tell the story is a mix of like sort of snapshot where we're like, like just hanging around and we, we like see what the people are going through and we see what the, what the area looks like, what the buildings are like, what the neighborhood is like. But then also uh, we spend time in like, not really flights of fancy, but like they get, they get creative with, with, um, with what we see. And there's uh, when they speak about uh, Robert Moses, who was the, urban planner who pretty much carved up uh, areas of New York in a way that um, severely disaffected um, black and brown people who, who are living in those neighborhoods. Um, it's first presented as then came Moses and we see like a picture from like sort of a 10 commandments style um, adaptation of the him parting, parting the, the sea. And um, there's just loads of things that where you get some, hyper real stuff but then also some like fantastical stuff and i think what makes the book work is that it doesn't really like it kind of sets its own rules in some ways like the way even the way like um sort of panel navigation it, it, it takes some risks and um doesn't just follow like the normal one two three four blah blah, blah. instead it will um have you sort of zipping around the page um the way how bilingualism is is done is is quite cool the way how um just like the neighborhood is presented because it, it the art style is this quite um it's like a mix of like sketchy but also like heavily shaded and and at times sort of like uh, murky and dense style but then like the the character work is kind of cartoony, but also realistic. And uh, it's, it gives it quite an, an original look that um, that I quite like. Because at, at the beginning, it, like, I think I, I grew to to like it more and more as I, as I got through the book, as I started to engage with the story. And um, yeah, I think it, it like drew me in 
and by the time you get to where you get later on, um, I think you're sort of just like, in a way, transported there, but while still thinking about um, the implications of how of how this would affect people um, and the characters in this situation and how they would navigate it. Um, you read some of this, didn't you, Rahul? I did, yeah. I read up to about halfway. Um, and so it, I was reading this literally up until the minute we started recording. So uh, these are really hot takes and they're sort of out of order. And I've been thinking about it while listening to you express what you liked about it. And I, I don't have a lot to add on top. I think um, the thing you said about it setting its own rules and like how it, how it has like an unorthodox panel um like the panel navigation i feel like it's too deliberate to be amateurish i feel like there's something very considered going on with how uh, like disruptive that panel layout is i think it's really interesting how it does that and like you bringing up the point of how uh like the bilingualism is presented like i feel like that's maybe even a part of it like if you're going through this life and if you're living in these circumstances then the way you perceive things is not in the same order as you've come to expect from like, you know, structured convention of comic book panel layouts. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but there's there's something there about that. Like like you said, playing by its own rules. Um, and the thing you said about your instinct with the artwork and then growing to enjoy it more of a time, I definitely felt that. Like there's a, it's got an interesting tone. Like it feels or presents itself a bit like these um, sketchy anarchic like anarchist comics that I don't usually like like it reminds me of a very British 60s comic style mm. uh, which I'm not normally into but because the content is like super raw and hopeful and even almost like a little bit twee like if you don't remind yourself that it's a memoir then because it's so it has like a condensed and um like romantic romantic in the literal sense of like retrospective on a real life you know, on, on real life history that happened to, to this man. It can feel a little, a little bit quaint or a little bit lifetime movie hopeful message, but these people lived this, you know, they, it has to skip over decades of the life that leads this moment or to these moments and the moment that the whole book seems to hinge around. Um, and like it's focused so far, again, I've only read half of it, but like it's focused solely on this turning point and like about the shift in like dynamics in this neighborhood that was born from it. And like, it's really interesting to see. So, okay, I want to take a step back um, because I started reading this without any sense of what it was. And I'm going to talk about the moment that it hinges around because I know you talked around it, Leon, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it hinges on the death of a young man. Um, it starts off with that panel and then it does the flashback thing. It takes you to the events leading up to it. And the halfway point of the book is... Um, the, the death of this young man and then the resultant um, meeting between all these disparate gang members or like different gangs that are, you know, living and um, like cohabiting and interacting in these various different ways and how they, um, like the, the, the main guy that the, the book centers around, which is, I've forgotten his name, uh, Benji Melendez how they take that as an opportunity to like spin the the bubbling violence into something productive constructive 
for the the community. And like I I felt like I'd seen this before. I feel like not just I've I've heard this story before, but like literally this story. And I did a quick Google and it re I realized I'd actually watched a documentary on this specific thing, on uh, the Ghetto Brothers and the death of Black Benji in a documentary called Flying Cut Sleeves by, uh, let me just have a look, Rita Fesher and Henry Chalfant. Chalfant. Um, it's like, it's a one hour documentary on this topic. So I stopped reading for a little while when I got to that midpoint and went to find this video. And it's so strange because there's actual video footage of these people speaking in this, you know, like community hall. It's like basketball hall, and um, and yeah, I I don't know. It's just it's so strange to see these these real people and then have it transcribed into the comic, like literally decades and decades later. And you don't often get to see stuff in that direction. It was quite like disorienting and kind of heartening. And I I, I don't know. I, yeah. It's really interesting, and um, I'll give a link to that one-hour documentary because I found a, a decent copy of it on YouTube. Um, and like, it got me thinking because like, it's too easy to think of. Like, they have this that th they form their own roundtable, and there's you know a bunch of friction leading up to it, and they you know they have snipers posted on different buildings and stuff because they're expecting um, a level of like violent discourse to happen. And it's easy to think of this kind of stuff as like illegitimate because it's, I don't know, it's not happening in a parliament or whatever, but like these people, they lived in that neighborhood and they took it on themselves to change how, to change how they live together and to make sure that the violence doesn't occur again. And I, I don't know, like, like I was saying earlier, it's so easy to read this as maybe even being a bit lifetime movie twee, but like, this was a real thing that happened and like they're expressing it on the page and it suddenly became I don't know, really tangible to me. I, 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 I basically, I can't wait to go back and finish reading this because I, I stopped. I had to put it down around the point where, after this had occurred, and like he's leaving the Bronx and he's finding his faith, he's refinding Judaism, and like there's a mystery to his personality that I'm really invested in now, and like the little things like you were referring to earlier, Leon, where like not knowing your own identity, like growing up as a teenager and telling your foreign parents that, you know, I'm an American, to then slowly falling into being like a, a Puerto Rican nationalist that his father doesn't agree with. And he's like, are you angry at me because I'm anti-American? And like that, that almost hypocrisy, but it's not really hypocrisy because it's like a journey you have to go through to understand who you're being told you are to like what you're being forced to be and then rediscovering what you do and don't agree with. Like there's there's a lot of touchstones that are still really relevant right now. And um, and particularly like the retroactive discovery of his parents' faiths and stuff that I, is the point that I'm at right now is just super interesting and super relatable. And um, yeah, I'm only halfway through and I, I really I would rec recommend this really highly. So I read a little bit of this. Um, I didn't manage to get all the way through it. Um, I'm sad I didn't manage to get all the way through it before the cast. Um, but I the documentary that you're talking about is actually mentioned in the introduction to this. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, now that when, when I read this, this story and, and when I, you know, I, I was aware of all of this at some, in some way or at some point, like I might've seen a documentary about it. I may have seen it referenced in other documentaries I've watched 
possibly documentaries about hip hop and things like that. I don't know. Yeah, but, in that context, yeah, something because it was literally like eight, yeah, eight years, eight to ten years ago or something. It was quite a while ago. Yeah, and when I'm when I'm reading this now, I. I kind of realize it kind of like switches on this ambient awareness of it all that I had in my head mm. kind of thing. It's like, Oh yeah, I've seen stuff about this, you know, or I know, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it triggers and starts to put a jigsaw puzzle in my head together of information that I've got from other sources, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, and I do enjoy, I, I, I quite enjoy these historical uh, comics sometimes. Like I'm a big advocate for um, biographical comics and, historical stories uh being told through the medium of comics and and uh sequential art because i think it's a really good way to get a story across and to get a story across clearly in you know to to a wider audience and it's it's a way to keep people interested i think i think if i'd have been given comics about history at school I may have been a little more interested. I mean, I was interested in history anyway, but I may have, I may, it may have held my interest more if it was presented to me in, in this kind of form as sequential art. It's weird. I think, I, yeah. I think this comics somewhat, or at least begins by slightly underselling the story that it's telling. Like, I don't know, there's something about like how it didn't immediately attract me, but I was, I was dragged along by the weight of the plot and not or like the story that it's telling and not necessarily the way that it's telling it. Because um, yeah. a couple of little things, like um, it seems to crib from like popular, say popular, like um, known violent iconography, stuff like there's a, there's a bit where it's like the scene from the Kent State shootings and like it's a really, really famous photo. And it like, I, I noticed that, but it doesn't do it very often. It felt very like out of the blue, out of nowhere. And I wasn't really, I felt like I was distracted by it. Like I was trying to figure out what it was trying to tell me um instead of focusing on what was actually happening in that moment like i don't know i it, it's it's a weirdly messy book but i'm still really drawn in by it like it's i'm again i'm literally i've not even finished reading it which is why i think i've got half baked thoughts on it but it's yeah i it's it's a really good pick and i think um what you're asking earlier leon about like where greg found it potentially um i've noticed it's come up in a bunch of like um anti-racist reading lists and it's come along alongside things like your black friend and bingo love and stuff like we've we've talked about in the past yeah i i kind of just happened across it through like various lists of books like probably probably through looking at like um yeah anti-racist reading lists and things like that is probably where i found it but it was it was just something i kind of happened across and i thought you guys would dig it so no it's a, it's a really good recommendation yeah. <laughs> that it's like in the conversation again yeah and um I, I really do love the artwork in it as well um i like how like almost no frills it is like it, it gets the, it gets everything across and it has this this like real um rough quality to it that i like yeah and like what another, another i think one of the things that i appreciate a lot about the book is that it avoids sensationalism and it avoids like tragedy porn mm. and it avoids uh i don't know like creating caricature out, out of these people 
because you you'd often see like depictions of people who are in gangs, especially black and brown people, to look and sound a particular way and to be highly stylized and like stereotypical and sort of flattened in, in their identity. Yeah, and, like totemic, like they have to represent a specific thing. Yeah, mm. and with this, uh, even amongst the uh, like the many gangs that we see, um, everyone is just people. They're all just people, but people with different feelings and ideologies and outlooks and emotions and experiences who have like, come together in their respective gangs for like protection, but also family, uh, especially a lot of them being like the, the children or actual immigrants themselves. Like this is their, their American family. These are the people who are, who are looking after them. I mean, there's a bit earlier on in this where some people in the gang, it's when drugs start to get flooded into the inner cities and they have literally, I have to take it, upon their own uh in their own own hands to clean up their guys and then to uh chase out um the uh the the junkies who are inhabiting like some of the uh, the empty buildings that they use mm. and um it, it's i know it's just, it's just such a a, a weird thing because you I think it's what it is. It's it's a very stark um, example of why gangs now to this day uh, are popular in certain places. Mm. Because if if the system has failed and is not looking after people, and then and then basically uh, creates uh, unsafe environments for these people, that you you're gonna want some camaraderie you're going to want a family mm. and this is this is the alert that this happens and this happens whether this happens in like uh in, in a city and like uh like black and brown gangs or whether it's uh white kids online joining uh neo-nazi alt-right gangs like it's the same type of thing just in in, with, in a in a different scenario where like if if there's no support, people are going to go to gangs. But then, as seen here, like they had to take matters into their hands so much that they had to create a coalition. And like uh, the 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 spark for this to happen is when uh, a guy comes from the Black Panthers and is like comes to this gang because this is the gang that are sort of the trendsetters uh, and says like. Instead of fighting each other, we should be we should we should be fighting against the the government, the police, the people who who are trying to beat us down, and that's unfortunately what um, leads us down to the road where Black Benji gets killed because he's sent as a peace envoy and then attacked. But then Black Black Benji dying is like the catalyst that uh, forces all these people to come together and and start making a change. So it's. Um, I know. Uh, in in this story are a lot of similar like civil rights or uh, and I don't just mean civil rights capital letters the sixties Martin Luther King Malcolm X but I mean civil rights in general uh, movements in here. There's like echoes of them, whether where 
there in the Bronx in New York or whether you're in Europe or South America, um, there's different elements of this, whether you're in um, Central or West Africa, like there's just different elements of these movements. Um, and it's, it's like you guys were saying, it would be nice to get more of this stuff in comic form because I think that it's a good way to convey these stories, partially because uh, like a book, you control your own pacing, uh, as in like literary book, you control your own pacing. But with comics, you have the unique thing of, of like freezing moments in time. And I think that it allows you to interrogate um, certain events and sequences in, in greater deal, uh, detail than you, you, than you can in, in other forms of media. Mm, exactly. So, um, yeah, that is uh, Ghetto Brother, Warrior to Peacemaker. So that was uh, Julian Voloi um, and Claudia Arling. Um, sorry if we've butchered your names. Uh, there's a forward in this as well by Jeff Chang, um, and that is published by NBM Graphic Novels. Um, on from there, I'm going to move on to the last thing. But before I do that, I'm just going to... Um, basically like the reason I didn't manage to get all the way through this is because I was distracted by the riddle that is all America comics. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I spent way too much time thinking about this book. Um, so originally I had read, this is an image comics book called all America comics, um, that I had read, um, hoping to be able to talk to you guys about it, but I just like, I can't work out what this is trying to do or be. Um, so this is All America Comics. This is by uh, Joe Casey and Dustin Nguyen. Um, and from what I can... So so this is basically All America Comics. This, this, this character called uh, America Vasquez, who is basically a... She is, for, for, for want of a better way of explaining it, she is Miss America of the Marvel Comics. Um, America Chavez, Miss America, um, is now America Vasquez in Image Comics. Um, now it's Miss America has powers, um, like that allow her to travel between realities, I think. And, uh, maybe it's something to do with that, that she's now instead of, um, yeah, so he has like inter-reality transportation powers and things like that. So instead of like, I don't know if this is basically some kind of weird meta thing where Miss America has made the jump from Marvel to Image and it's like reality bending powers or something. I don't know, but why would she change her name? Um, and and, and it, it's in all but name, the character is pretty much the same, the same character. Um, same powers, um, same kind of, um, abilities, etc. Uh, similar thing like in this, uh, so, so in this all America comics is basically just introducing you to America Vasquez and the fact that she doesn't take any, any shit from anyone. She's a tough teenager. Um, and they've got all these kind of like analogs of Marvel characters in it, like the Avengers and Dr. Doom. Um, there's a there's there's a, a weird analog of um, Doctor Doom that she ends up fighting like halfway through the comic, 
she has a run-in with uh, like analogs of the main three Avengers. So um, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. But Thor is still called Thor. Uh, Iron Man is called WMD Man, um, <laughs> which I think you can kind of see what they've done there. Um, and I just I was trying to work out whether this was trying to be satire whether it was trying to clown on Marvel comics in some way, or whether it was trying to be a, um, the story that Joe Casey really wanted to tell, but didn't have the freedom to do so at Marvel. I don't know. And I'm, I'm still trying to pass out what this actually is. Um, and I think, I think I fell too far down this rabbit hole of thinking too hard about this comic, which stopped me from being able to finish Ghetto Brother. And that's my, <laughs> that's my tragic story. Sounds like a shame. Sounds like it doesn't have, it doesn't have much to it yet. Like it's only yeah. one, right? Like it's a standard superhero story. It could, you know, it's not anything stand out or, or, and it, it's the same, like Joe Casey's the guy that, that created, effectively created Miss America or helped create Miss America for Marvel. Mm. So it's like, he's taken his own character from like, and, and, and copied like photocopied his character and, and he's telling the same story again, or maybe he's like, a like a, I touched on, like maybe he's, he's telling a story that he didn't possibly have the freedom to tell at Marvel. And now he's just doing it at image instead because image will let him go ham. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted the paycheck. But, yeah, yeah, but enough. it's. I mean, it, it's it's not a bad comic. It's it's a great it's a great story. It's a great comic. I just can't work out what it's trying to do or be or or what what its relevance is when we already have this character as part of Marvel as part of the Marvel line. Um, it is an interesting question. Like we were yeah. talking about reviews and stuff. Is this <laughs> the fact that you've read this number one? Is that enough to get you to read? Like, are you curious enough to see whether it's actually got anything more to say or whether it's just repeating a, the same story but f under a different property? Um, I don't know, because it's yeah. like most most number ones, when you read a number one, I mean, it's a good story and I might continue reading it because I enjoy the story, because I enjoy this character, America Vasquez. She's cool. Hmm. Um, it's a cool story. It, it, but like... Uh, and and it's it's you know it's kind of fun seeing these analogs poke fun at Marvel characters in strange ways, um, but like I, I feel as if I will continue reading it. Um, I think, I think the way it ends, um, from what I can gather. I mean, oh, actually, can I spoil it? Should I spoil it? Um, Nah, save it for the future. Yeah, I'll save it for the future. But like, I, I kind of want to carry on reading it, but I want its purpose. Because when you read a number one, usually you can at least pass out the purpose of the story. Like, you can, you get some kind of sense of purpose from it. You get some sense of purpose from the writing, like what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, um, what they are expecting you to get from it as the reader. And it's a, it's a you know it's a great story it's an exercise in storytelling but it doesn't it's a puzzle piece that doesn't seem to fit anywhere and i think that is what bothers me about it because it, it just doesn't seem to have a place 
and I don't know what its place is. And maybe I'm supposed to feel like that thinking about it. Maybe it's some weird, weird, weird meta thing that's supposed to completely play with my mind. Because... You don't have to twist yourselves into in yourself into yeah. to enjoy this thing. It's fine. No, I know. I, this is this is this is my problem. <laughs> and and this is this is why. Do you see how long I've managed to talk about this? Like right now, and and why I've not managed to finish the comic I was supposed to be reading. <laughs> I mean, did you did you end up reading anything else beyond what we've talked about? Yes, yes, I did. I've got one last thing to talk about. <laughs> did you like it? This next one. I did. It was very good. It, it's less of a comic, and it is more of a collection of illustrations paired with quotes. Um, less of what I would call sequential art in the traditional sense, and more of a graphic statement. And it's bold and it's powerful and it is a wonderful way of drawing attention to the figures that are introduced in its pages. It's, it's called uh, Black History in Its Own Words. And this is written and uh, also the art is by Ronald Wimbley. Uh, this is published by Image Comics. Originally, this began as a project for um, an online uh daily comics publication political cartoons graphic journalism type thing called the nib um which you can find at thenib.com which they have these daily comics uh, daily political comics and things like that and um this is where this began life it was a project for black history month um it's Basically, it's it's a wonderful way to introduce these figures that they they introduce in these pages, and it's the keys to the door in a sense because it increases awareness of the work that these people have done, and also the continuing fight for equality and equity that is sadly sadly still has to be happening today. Like people have been fighting this fight for years and years and years, and people are still in the streets with their fists raised right now, and. This is this is what this is all about. So it's it's um it it it, it encompasses people from uh it's black voices from all all kinds of walks of life, if you like. It, it's it's any anyone from uh film directors to athletes are quoted here, and it it's a quote by them paired with a picture, put a cartoon portrait, um, and a little bit of information about who they are like a, a short kind of like a short paragraph on the opposite page short short few lines about who they are and and, and you know if you want to find out more about them kind of thing um and also in the back of the book there is kind of a uh all the works that are cited um are kind of listed out in the back so you can go to the back of the book and you can find specific articles that quotes were taken from and things like that so it's kind of like a, a the the kind of the keys to the door, if you like, like go away and learn more about, about, you know, black history and these activists and, and these people, these black figures in society, uh, like artists, athletes, etc., and learn more about what they've done for, for society and for the world and, uh, learn more, learn more about their achievements. And it provides a springboard for readers to further educate themselves. Um, it's a beautiful collection of illustrations and it is, it is, I can't get over how, like, I can't get across how powerful it is without you actually reading it and looking at it. And just like each one, just kind of like as you turn the page and you're looking at the next quote and the next portrait, each thing is just like, bam, it's really powerful. It's like a punch in the gut. Um, 
so yeah, this was like, um, it started out as eight quotes. It was commissioned as eight quotes and it grew from eight to 12 because uh, Ronald Wimbley enjoyed the work so much. 12 then became 39 for this collection. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just awesome. Like I love the art style here as well. And, and like, it's really inspiring and uplifting uh, going through it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a great, a great publication, a great thing to look at and a great thing to have, I suppose. Yeah. Cause I've seen some of the images up on um, Google when I, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it looks really cool. And um, for the, some of the ones that I've seen, they've picked really good quotes from the people they picked them from. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the people mentioned in here, um, you've got Angela Davis, uh, you've got a quote from Ice Cube, Dave Chappelle, Spike Lee, um, Laverne Cox. Uh, it's just, it's like a real sort of like cross section and some really good articles and, and interviews actually. Like when you look at the work cited page at the back, like these articles and interviews that you can check out, it's like, it, it's, it's really cool and it's a real rabbit hole you can fall into. And it's a really good way. It's a really good read and it's a really good um, kind of like way into educating yourself about some of, the, some of the issues here, like a way to kind of like get started. And it's like the keys to the the door, if you like. And I came across this because it is actually on uh, Comixology have actually got this thing on at the moment where they are um, highlighting uh, black creators and um, they've got kind of like a, a collection of books around black voices and things like that, which is really cool at the moment. So you can check out what they've got on their list. And that's where I found this and ghetto brother warrior to peacemakers actually on there as well. Um, on this comicsology list. So yeah, it's, it was just something that was really, really cool to look at. And it's, it's like, it's a nice book actually to, to, to if you were to buy it. Cause it's like, an, I'm guessing it's a nice hardback. It'd be something cool to have on your shelf or on your coffee table or whatever. And it's a way to, start conversations yeah this is why i i didn't because i was tempted to like get it digitally and because like just so i could take a look at it and talk about it on the cast but then it's more like an art book and i, I prefer those physical especially if it's like this square format and it's one page per quote per face per painting it, like, yeah it's something you want physical it is and i've bought it digital and i'm probably going to buy it physical as well because it's the kind of thing you do want physical because it's it's some gorgeous art in there and and some great quotes so yeah it's a really nice collection um yeah uh key it's the keys to the doors basically so it, it's like a, a starting point for people if they want to educate themselves which is what i viewed it as anyway so yeah it's it's cool um, and that is uh, Black History in Its Own Words. That is uh, written uh, with art by Ron Wimbley, and that is published by Image Comics. Um, and we don't have a poll list for you this week. So that concludes this episode, unless you two have got anything you want to bring up. No, uh, just looking forward to also talking to you guys about uh, the Watchmen TV series when, you know, where <laughs> <laughs> life allows us to the cursed episode yeah so yeah um that has been ace comicals episode 91 you can find us in all the usual places www.acecomicals.com where um is kind of like the hub for everything we do you can find us on 
Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, you can find us on Twitter under at Ace Comicals. You can at us, DM us, get involved in the conversation in any way you like. You can send us an email to acecomicals at gmail.com. Uh, if you are so inclined, you can donate a coffee to us at ko-fi.com slash acecomicals. Uh, basically, any donations we get go to keep the lights on here at Ace Comicals, keep the podcast running. Um, we have t-shirts for sale as well. You can buy Ace Comicals t-shirts at uh, acecomicals.threadless.com. Um, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Evra. And just to add, uh, good riddance to all these abusers in all these different industries that are getting exposed and kicked out, uh, especially in the comic book industry. May that continue. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, at us, get involved in the conversation. Um Tell us what you think of the books that we talk about if you have picked them up and read them. Uh, And that is Ace Comicals over and out.